Good morning, Overlake. How are you doing? My name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And what a morning it has been. First service, we had baptisms. Then you just witnessed the cutest, the most adorable stage ever created in mankind. Like that was awesome. And uh, actually, it's interesting. Uh, those baby dedications, those child dedications have been a huge topic of conversation within the Eldridge household this week. Uh, because as you just saw, uh, our little guy Isaiah got dedicated. But it wasn't so much uh, the, the dedication itself that was kind of contentious because we had some contentiousness come over the, the, the pictures, the baby dedication pictures. Because the, the thing was, my wife wanted one picture and then I wanted another. And so what we did is we compromised and my wife got her picture because you guys know this, right? Happy wife, happy life. I live by that. But now the thing is I have the microphone and if I have the microphone, that, mean I, that means I have the power. And so that means I can show the picture that, that I want to show. So let me really quickly show you the picture that you just saw. This is, this is my son, Isaiah, and there he is, cute, little tiger, little stocking cap. But, uh, but men, I, I was thinking of something a little bit more manly. So, so Mark, can you hit him with little beast mode right now? Booyah! That is what I'm talking about. There is not a father in here who would not love that picture. And, and here's the cool thing. Uh, the Seahawks, friends, they're 10 and 1. They're 10 and 1. But they're not just 10 and 1 for one week. They're 10 and 1 for two weeks. So we love it. We love it. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with the message this morning? And I would simply tell you, absolutely nothing. It has absolutely nothing to do with the talk, but, uh, but this next story does. It's going to kind of set the framework for what we're going after as we wrap up our series, More Stuff, uh, Less Life, or whoa, whoa, just Less Stuff, More Life. Make sure I got it. Got it. So here's the story. Uh, there was a man, and this man worked at a wheelbarrow factory. And at the end of the shift, the, the whistle blows, and it's time for everybody to pack up their stuff. So he begins packing up his stuff, and then he goes down to the ground, and he sweeps up some sawdust, and he puts that sawdust in a little box, and then he puts that box in a wheelbarrow, and he heads towards the exit. Well, as he gets towards the exit, he sees a security guard. And the security guard's there, and he kind of looks at this guy, and he's got this box in a wheelbarrow, and he says, that kind of looks weird. I, I have a feeling he might be stealing something. So he asks, hey, can I look in that box? This is just kind of weird. And he's like, okay, yeah, it's just sawdust, but go ahead, look in the box. So the security guard opens the box, looks inside the box. Sure enough, it's sawdust. And he's just like, that's, that's weird. All right, man, whatever, be on your way. So then day two rolls around. Uh, the whistle blows again. It's time to go home. He sweeps up some more sawdust. He puts it in a little box, puts it in a wheelbarrow, heads to, towards the exit, and there's the security guard. And again, the security guard's sitting in. I think this dude is stealing something, but he asked yesterday, and I'll, I'll just let him pass again. Well, it happens a third day. It happens a fourth day. It happens a fifth day. It's a Friday now. The whistle blows. It's time to go. Sweeps up some sawdust, puts it in, in a little box, puts it in a wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow, and heads towards the exit. And then the security guard just stops him because he says, you know what? I've been watching you do this day after day, and I know, I know that you're stealing something. So, so here's the deal. I know you're stealing something, but rather than get you in trouble, if you'll just tell me what you're stealing, I won't report you. And so the guy's like, okay. Fine, I, I will tell you what I've been taking. I've been taking wheelbarrows. I've <laughs> been taking wheelbarrows. And, and here's the point. You see, um, this security guard, this security guard lost his perspective. 
He became so preoccupied with one thing that he missed the big thing. He lost his perspective. And and this morning, what I'd like to do is talk to you about an area of your life, an area of my life, an area of our life where we have all lost perspective. And so what is that area? It happens to be the area that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. It's the area of our stuff. And so as we delve into this subject of stuff this morning, here's my prayer. My prayer is that God would grant us a new perspective, a perspective that would not only challenge our thinking, a perspective that would not only challenge our our actions, but a perspective that would also grant us the real, the rich, and the abundant life that Christ has for each and every one of us. So as we begin, why don't we, uh, we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to come and do that. Jesus, we are so thankful We're thankful that you can gather this community together. And we know that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So I pray right now as we open your scriptures that that you would speak to us, God. Would your Holy Spirit come and descend upon this place, fill each one of us in order that we can hear from your word and then go live your word. We want to turn our theology into biography this morning. So help us to do that. We're so thankful and we're so grateful. Again, thank you for these beautiful babies. Thank you for the baptisms at first service. And we just want to glorify you in this time right now. We pray these things. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So uh, there's a guy by the name of John Ortberg. He is a pastor. He's an author. He's a thinker. And in 2007, he wrote a book that radically altered my perspective when it comes to this idea of stuff. And at the crux of his, uh, his book is a story. And it's a story about a game of Monopoly that he played with his grandmother. And, and what I'd like to do right now is actually read to you that story because there's a big idea that I want us to capture from this story. We'll be coming back to it time and time again throughout the message. So the story goes like this. I used to play Monopoly with my grandmother when I was growing up. She was a wonderful woman, a great storyteller, and a really fun person. We loved her very much, but... She was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever met in my life. Imagine Donald Trump had married Leona Helmsley and they had a child. Then, then you would get an idea of what it was like when I played my grandmother in Monopoly. Uh, I would get my little cash of play money and want to hang on to it. See, but my grandmother, she knew how to play the game. She knew that money was how you keep score in the game and that acquisition is like your debt. It was life or death. So she would buy every piece of property that she landed on. She would mortgage each property to the hilt so that she could buy everything else. She knew that it was a dog-eat-dog world, every man for himself. And then inevitably, she would become the master of the board. I would land on her property once too often and have to give her my last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she would shake her head and say this, and I hated it when she said this, but she said, don't worry about it, Johnny. Someday you'll learn how to play the game. Then, then one summer, I played almost every day with a kid in our neighborhood named Steve. That was the summer when it gradually dawned on me how to play the game. That summer, I learned that money was how you kept score in the game, and that acquisition is the key to survival. It's every man for himself. That summer, I learned to be the master of the board. Now, by the time the fall rolled around, I was ready to do whatever it took to beat my grandmother. I was more ruthless than she was. I played with sweaty palms. I was ready to cheat if needed in order to beat my grandmother at Monopoly. 
Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's weakness. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. You see, the game does strange things to you. And then I can still remember when it happened. It was at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother, who was an old lady by then. She was a widow. She had raised six children, raised my mom, loved my mom. She loved me. She taught me how to play the game, and I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give me her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the best day of my life. But then she had one more thing to teach me because the best lessons always come at the end of the game. She said, now Johnny, and this is what I want every one of us to remember, now Johnny, it all goes back in the box. All that money, all those houses and hotels, all that wonderful property, all that stuff, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the game out. I wanted to bronze it maybe as a memorial to myself. I was finally master of the board, but I had just forgotten one tiny little detail. It all goes back in the box. Now here, friends, if there is just one thing that you take from this message this morning, I pray that it's this. I pray that you understand that it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. All of our earthly possessions, it all goes back in the box. Your wardrobe, your rental home, your DVD collection, your daybed, your car, your coffee maker, your iPhone, your Windows phone, because I know there's some Windows people in here, your airline miles, your garden hose, your baseball cards, your baby clothes. If you're a student in here, even your copy of Call of Duty, it all goes back in the box. And that's just the tangible stuff. What about your talents? How about about your, your time? See, all of it, all of our stuff, it all goes back in the box. And the question now is, will any of it have counted for anything? Will any of that stuff have really counted for anything? And the heartbreaking news to that question is that for most people on this planet, the answer is no. The answer is no. Most people, they never ever realize that it all goes back in the box. And because of that, most people live their lives in the here and now. And and what they do is they relegate their lives to one big game of monopoly, where the rich and abundant life means buying more, having more, hoarding more stuff. And the reality is that this isn't news to God. See, the human race has been living out this demented board game for thousands of years. In fact, if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, why don't you open to Luke chapter 12? We're going to look at verses 16 through 20. And in this passage, Jesus tells a story, a story with a little bit deeper level of of meaning. And what I want to do is kind of unpack that deeper level of meaning this morning. And so he tells this story, and it begins in verse 16. It says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now let me quickly just ask you a question. Who made the ground? God. 
God made the ground. And if you were here in week one, you might remember that Pastor Mike, he reminded us that everything that you and I have, it all comes from God. It's all God's stuff. Everything that we have, it's just on loan from God. And one day, one day that loan is going to come due. And we will have to stand before our righteous and holy God and give an account for what we did with what he gave us. But for some reason, we live under an illusion. And here's the illusion. The illusion is that I am in control, that I can manage my life, that I am in charge, that all of the good things come to me because of me. And so Jesus tells this story, this parable about a man who thinks he's in control, but he's not really in control. In fact, just notice the pronouns in this story. It begins again, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And then he thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, did any of those pronouns strike you? I, me, my barns, my stuff stored up for myself. I am in control. And God's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I think you've forgotten something. See, it's on loan. Everything you have, it's all on loan. None of it's yours. Not your stuff, not your body, not your mind, not your IQ, not your education, and not your pedigree. You didn't engineer any of it. It's all on loan. And lest I remind you that one day that loan is going to come due. And then we read in verse 20 that this loan does come due for this gentleman. In verse 20, Jesus says, you fool, You fool, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. You see, friends, it all goes back in the box. But if we're really real with ourselves, many of us are just like this fool. You see, just like this fool, many of us live under this myth that it's all mine. Just like this fool, many of us live under the myth that more is better. And just like this fool, many of us fail to recognize that it's all going back in the box. And the problem is we've lost perspective. We've fallen into the myth of more. And and I don't know where you stand spiritually. You may or may not believe in Jesus. You may or may not believe in the authority of Scripture. But I want to tell you something. The myth of more is a story that is lived out a million times a day, every day, no matter what you believe in or what you've committed your life to. It's lived out every single day, millions of times over. And so what I want to do right now is I want to describe to you somebody. It's a person who's fairly well known in the history books, and I want to see if if you can tell who it is. All he ever wanted was more, more money. And so what he did was that he took his money, and so he parlayed his wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. 
He wanted more sensual pleasures, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed and built and piloted the fastest airplane in the entire world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. And then this is how his life ended. He ended his life emaciated, colorless, sunken chest, fingernails in grotesque, inches-long corkscrews, rotting black teeth, tumors, and innumerable needle marks from his various drug addictions. And so who was this? It was Howard Hughes. By all reasonable standards, he was a master of the board. But he died believing the myth of more. And here's the question you have to ask yourself. If he'd had made one more million, if he'd had pulled off just one more big deal, if, if, if he'd had experienced one more thrill, would that have been enough? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless it is to think that wealth brings true happiness. Friends, if there is anything that you have learned over the course of the last two weeks, it's that more stuff does not equal more life. But while more stuff does not equal more life, you should also recognize that more stuff can steal your life. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but, but maybe you've thought and maybe you haven't. But I think that one of Satan's slyest tactics is to have us fall into this myth of more. I, I think he says to himself, if I could just get them distracted with stuff, if I could just fill their schedules, if I could confuse them with clutter, then, then they'll miss the point. Then I'll steal their life. Heck, I'll destroy it. But then Jesus says at the end of this verse, notice this. He says, I have come that you may have life. Jesus says, I don't want to steal anything from you. I actually want something for you. I want abundant life for you. I want rich, real, full life for you. I want life and life to the full. And then the unnerving question, though, that we have to ask ourselves is this. Have we fallen to the tactics of the enemy? Have we fallen into this myth of more? And I think if we're honest, truth be told, maybe not to the degree of Howard Hughes or the rich fool, but, but all of us, to some degree, we've all fallen into this myth of more. And I know that for a fact, just this week, I've fallen into the myth of more. See, a couple of years ago, we had some friends uh, and they gave us this electronic baby bouncy swing thing. And the thing was priceless. Honestly, our, our son loved the, the bouncy baby swing thing. And, uh, and then just a couple of weeks ago, one of our other friends gave us another bouncy baby swing thing. So now we had two bouncy baby swing things. The only problem was that they were taking up a lot of space in our house. So, so we knew that we needed to, to get rid of one. But here's something else you need to know about the story. 
right now in our world, uh, we've got so many friends who are having babies. This was just evidence just a moment ago of like, there's a baby boom happening at Overlake. And there's just this huge pool of people who might be uh, able to, to use this bouncy baby swing thing. Just an interesting note as well. I was hanging out in the hallway uh, on Wednesday night, right after youth group. And I was talking to another buddy and him and his wife had, had just had a baby as well. And we were just kind of talking about babies and stuff. And one of our students passed by and said, hey, you know what causes that, right? And we're like, what, what causes what? He's like, you know what causes babies? And then we were like, oh, yeah, yeah. We know what causes babies, but the problem is, the problem is we can't keep our wives off of us. Like, it's just, that's just how it is. But I, I digress. I digress. So we have these two free, bouncy, baby, swing things. They've been given to us. And, uh, and now we have one to give away. And there's a large pool of friends that could uh, benefit from such an item. But, but here was my thinking. Rather than to, to give away this bouncy, baby, swing thing, my thinking was, hey, why don't we sell this, babe? Why don't we sell it? And, and that way we can go buy the boys some more Christmas presents. Check this. It was almost as I was saying it, I could hear the words of Jesus saying, you fool, you fool, you fool. Rory, you're missing the point. You see, uh, you have an opportunity here to, to bless somebody, but, but you're, you're missing it, Rory. You're absolutely missing it. Rather than give away your free bouncy baby swing thing to some friends who could use it, you want to sell it and you want to sell it in order that you can buy more stuff that will take up even more space in your house and cause you even more chaos. You fool, you fool, you fool. See, all of us, the preacher included, we live under this foolish myth that more is better, more cars, more clothes, more money, more stuff. And yet we fail to recognize that just like this rich fool, just like Howard Hughes, more stuff does not equal more life. And so the question now becomes is, well, then how can we overcome this myth of more? How can we invest our life, our time, our talents, our treasures? How can we invest our stuff into things that will actually matter on the other side of eternity? And so this question has just been in my head all week. And as I was studying this week, I just felt like the Lord just gave me just two thoughts, Two very simple thoughts, but two thoughts that I think he wants to use to alter our perspective on our stuff. And then to to help us invest our stuff in such a way that we can make an impact even after our life is over, even after it all goes back in the box. And so here it is, uh, the first of just two perspective-altering thoughts. The first one is just this simple. I am blessed. I am blessed am blessed. And the only problem with this thought is that many of us, we don't believe it. And so what I want to do right now is is we're going to take a little test. It's it's something a little bit different, but we're going to take a first world problems test. And if you've never taken one of these tests, here's how it works. I'm going to describe a scenario, a scenario somewhat unique to those of us kind of living in the, the first world or, or those of us who, the, whom the world might consider blessed. And so I'm going to set up this scenario, and then I'm going to ask you to be brave. If, uh, if you, uh, as I describe the scenario, if, if this applies to you in any shape or form, I, I want you to be brave, but I want you to raise your hand, okay? So, so here's the first question on the test. Have you ever said that I don't have any shoes to go with that outfit. Anybody? That means you have a first world problem. 
Have you ever complained that the internet on your smartphone is too slow? Anybody? Okay. You have a first world problem. Have you ever gone shopping at Costco, but got back home and realized you can't fit all of your food in the refrigerator? You have a first world problem. Have you ever used the phrase, I think I need a vacation from this vacation? Yep. Have you ever been frustrated because the ad on the YouTube video you want to watch doesn't have a skip button? Yep. All right. See, friends, we all have these first world problems. And I know this is a little outlandish, but here's the point. We are so ridiculously blessed. We are so ridiculously blessed. We have first world problems. In fact, don't believe me? Check this out. Just a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to head down to the World Vision headquarters. And, uh, and there was a speaker there. He's just a young guy. And he's had the opportunity to speak all over the world. And, uh, and then he took a dollar bill out of his pocket. And, and then he put it on the ground. And then... Then he noted that we were with an American audience and stuff, and and he noted that not a single person came rushing for this dollar. Not a single person got out of their seat and came for this dollar because one time when he was out in India, I believe, he he reached into his pocket and he uh, pulled out a dollar and it fell on the ground. And all of a sudden, all these people came scrambling for that dollar. And the reason is because where he was speaking in that part of the world, a dollar meant so much more than it does to us. See, a dollar over there meant a day's wage. And for us, it means a can of Coke. Friends, we are so ridiculously blessed. And why is this important to note? Because ultimately, we have two choices to make. One, we can live like the rich fool. We can live for the here and now. We can buy more, get more, hoard more, and then we can watch our stuff steal our life. Or we can do what Jesus says. We can live in the light of eternity. We can recognize that it's all going back in the box. And rather than buy more, get more, hoard more, we can give more. And in so doing, we can gain life. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul writes this. He says, command those who are rich, those who are blessed in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Check that word out, enjoyment. God wants you to have a real, a rich, and an abundant life, and he provides everything that you need for your enjoyment. Then he also tells us how we can really live a real, rich, and abundant life, and it's a little countercultural. Verse 18, command those, those who are blessed, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. If you want a real, a a rich and abundant life, give it away. Be generous. Be willing to share. Give it away. And then not only will you have an abundant life on this side of eternity, you'll be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven on the other side of eternity where moth and rust will not destroy. 
So that is thought number one. We are blessed, but this leads to thought number two. We are blessed in order that we can be a blessing. We are blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing. Now, for some of us, you hear this and you're like, Rory, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I get it. I, I make more than a dollar a day. But, but Rory, what you don't get is that I'm a single mom and I work two jobs and, and I can uh, be a blessing to those in my family, but I don't really have the resources to be a blessing to anybody else. And somebody else, you're saying, but Rory, see, you, you don't get it. Um, I, I have two kids under the age of two, and, and I can't be a blessing to someone else if I don't even have time for myself. But, but Rory, see, I, I'm a widow, and a few years ago, uh, my, my husband passed away, and, and to be honest, the last few years have been really hard on me, and, and, and I just honestly don't know if I have any, anything to give, any talents to give. I, I just, I don't think I can be a blessing. But I, I want to share with you right now just a, a tweetable phrase a phrase that that has helped me as I've wrestled with some of my my butts. And it's simply this. Stop letting your butt get in the way of your blessing. Stop letting your butt get in the way of your blessing. But, 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 but. Stop letting your butt get in the way of your blessing. Because here's what I know about you. I know that what you believe determines how you will behave. What you believe determines how you will behave. So the question I have for you is this. Do you believe you're blessed? Because I guarantee you that if you believe you are blessed, you are going to be a blessing. Really, it's all a matter of perspective. Just, just about a week ago, I heard a story about a team that, that went to Kenya. And while they were in Kenya, they were observing a, a classroom. And they were there in the school. This classroom was just totally packed to the tilt. And the kids were just hanging off every word that the teacher was saying. And then somewhere in the, the middle of class, there's this little boy kind of in the middle. He, he reaches down towards a little grocery bag. And in his grocery bag, he, he pulls out a little red pen. And so the teacher's talking. And he just starts to jot down a few notes. And then almost just out of nowhere, that little boy with that little red pen, he just flings it across the room and nails another kid on the other side of the room, right in the head. And you're like, what? what's going on? But then that little kid, he grabs that little red pen and he starts to jot down a few notes. And then he takes the pen and he chucks it towards the front of the classroom and hits another one of his friends. And then that friend takes that little red pen and starts to jot down some notes. And so for the people who, who were looking on to the scene, at first they thought they were throwing pens at each other. This is crazy. And then they realized that, wait, this group of kids isn't throwing pens at each other. They're throwing pens to each other. You see, this little boy had a little red pen. Perhaps it was his most valuable possession. And yet this little boy... With his little red pen, he was blessed to be a blessing. And so let me ask you this. How much more has God given you? How many resources, how much influence, how much time, how much ability, how much abundance has God given you? You see, friends, you have got to recognize that you are blessed, but you are blessed to be a blessing. And it's all a matter of perspective. 
And one of the things I love about our church is that each and every day there are more and more of us in this Overlake community who are starting to believe this truth. They are believing that they are blessed to be a blessing. And so what I want to do right now is, is share a story with you. And it's a story about a couple with a three-year-old daughter who moved from Alaska to Oregon to kind of start life over. And they found some work and a, and a nice place to rent, and they were even saving money. But then, then their newborn son, Ryden, showed up, and then they had to start all over again. And, and this is their story. You expect your kids to get sick. You expect your kids to go to the doctor. You expect that stuff. You don't expect to be told that your kid either needs a transplant or he has about 18 months to live. This is after Ryden was just born. Um, about three months along, he went to a specialist for a regular routine checkup. The emergency told us, you guys gotta go to Portland right now, can't wait, right this minute, go, go home, grab what you need for a few nights and head that way, you'll be back soon. They'd done a biopsy at Emanuel Legacy Hospital in Portland, which is where they found out that his, his liver was severely damaged. And Seattle Children's Hospital got brought into the, to the mix. They said, well, this place is the only transplant place on the West Coast that handles stuff like this. Um, that's where you guys are going to have to go. And what we're looking at at that point is we're broke, completely broke. Um, she's getting ambulanced with Ryden to Seattle. I'm in Portland with no money to get anywhere. We had no options, no ideas, and nothing. There was no window or door open. And out of nowhere, it was a, a chance meeting between Veronica's mother, who's a, a missionary who travels back and forth to Mexico, and Sharon Moore, who is um, a woman who works for Olive Crest. We were about ready to leave off the transplant list. Ryden wasn't even going to be scheduled to get a transplant. Um, we were being discharged the next day. It pretty much looked like we were going to take our son home to watch him die is what we thought was going to happen. Sharon got a hold of Veronica and said, you, you can come stay with me at my house. They let us stay there, and then they got ready to go on vacation. And through Sharon and safe families at Olive Crest, we were connected to a family, the Leons, who go to church here at Overlake. Sharon was going on vacation and said, OK, you guys can go move in with the Leons. And when I get back, if you guys are still trying to figure stuff out, you can move back into my house. Um, we went to stay at the Leon's. And they weren't doing, you know, they were having a hard time themselves because um, he was out of a job and she was trying to pick up extra hours because they were trying to get things figured out, but I mean, they let us stay there. About the only way they were in a better position than us is their kid wasn't sick. I mean, other than that, they were struggling too and they still let us stay there. We got a message that the, the Leon's weren't going to be able to continue to house us, not, not because they didn't want to, but because they just, I mean, they were only expecting us there two weeks, their landlord wasn't going to be okay with it, whatever reasons. Um, and a house had been set up. We showed up and pulled up in front of this house, and I start grabbing some of Veronica's stuff and helping her take it inside. And we're dropping stuff in these rooms, and I'm not seeing anybody else's belongings. I see a bed for us in the main master bedroom. I see Kira's bed in her room, and I see a crib in Ryan's room. Where do the people who own the house stay? And then she dropped a bombshell, you know, this lady's paying for this for us so that we have a stable home while Ryan's in the hospital and dealing with this. It was all unfurnished, but within two or three days, the entire house was furnished. We had dishes, pots, pans, the whole food, table chairs, um, a dining room table and chairs, um, dressers for rooms, um, blankets, towels, I mean anything that you could have, 
anything you can imagine needing yeah. when you first move into a home, the stuff that you normally bring from your last home and unpacked, which we didn't have any of, it was appearing on our doorstep. We, we would open the door one moment and there'd be bags of food. We would shut it, go put the food away. I would go back outside and there was more bags. We, we want to thank everybody at Overlake, um, the people we've met, the people we haven't met, the people who have sent anonymous gifts, the people who have sent gifts with their name. Everybody um, has been so selfless and thoughtful and giving and generous and I don't I don't even it's impossible to put words to the amount of the amount of comfort and stability Overlake has helped and the people from Overlake have helped provide in our lives. You no, know, the prayers have helped when he's been in the hospital a lot. Every time I ask for prayers to get over an obstacle, it happens. My little boy <laughs> and those prayers keep him healthy. You know, the, the doctors keep telling us that he's supposed to be sicker than this. He's supposed to be thin. He's supposed to be They're baffled weak. at how healthy he's he is He's supposed to be unhappy. He's not supposed to be smiling. He's chunky. He's happy. He's smiling. I've cried so much since coming to Seattle. Um, and it's tears. It's been tears of joy. In Oregon, it was tears of my son's sick. What are we doing? Stress, frustration. Now, if you see me crying, it's because I, I, there's an overabundance of love. It, it just emanates from the people that were around. I mean, you get waves, and everybody asks how Ryden is and says hi to Ryden, and, and we're part of the family, and we, we, we're not from here. We just got here, and we're part of the family. You see, that, that house, that furniture, that abundance of groceries, that's you, Overlake. That's you. That's the people sitting in this place. And it's because you recognize that you are blessed to be a blessing. And it's not only the adults who are getting this, too. I'm going to share with you just kind of a proud pastor moment. You probably don't know this, but right now there are hundreds of teenagers circling this building, and they're on a water walk. And it's kind of this experiential thing, but they're getting a little taste of what it's like to, to go and be without clean water and have to go to some dirty, nasty river or pond and pick up that water and then contract a disease from it. You know that every six seconds in this world, somebody dies, usually a child, because they contract a disease because of unclean water. And so Overlake Student Ministries has said, hey, we're going to come against this. So we, we've kind of put out this challenge that this year we're going to raise $20,000 to build numerous clean water wells all over Kenya. And so far this year, our students have raised $11,500. That's students, friends. Yeah, we can like get excited about that. But, but here's even the, the cooler thing. So we started this project in November of last year. Today is actually, it's like year, year date. And so three weeks ago, we recognized that, hey, we've done a good job. We've raised $11,500, but we're still $8,500 short. And so I was kind of in the back office just praying about it, getting our team together. And, and we just kind of felt like the Lord stirring us like, no, we're going to finish this $20,000 and we're going to finish it by November 24th. See, today we're doing this, this huge day, this big experience, and, and we're asking kids to, to bring what they have. But, but let me just tell you what happened last week. Last week, I watched a, a little seventh grade girl come in and hand me a $1,000 check. 
This is part of her parents and some of her savings. And she just said, you know what? We're blessed to be a blessing. Just last, last night, my friend Howie, little eighth grader, he threw a birthday party. And rather than presents, he said, nope, I, I just want money. And I want all that money to go to the wells. He raised $335 just last night. And, and why? It's because these kids get this. They get the fact that they are blessed to be a blessing. And I am firmly believing that today I'm going to end this service. I'm going to walk to that student room and I'm going to hear the total and it's going to be over $20,000 because our kids get it. They get that they are blessed to be a blessing. You know, it's, it's been said that one makes a living by what they get, but they make a life by what they give. And that is so true. And so what I want us to do right now is just imagine Imagine what it would look like if we committed to using our stuff to be a blessing. Imagine if we committed to giving our stuff away. Imagine if we gave of our time, our talents, and our treasures to bring God's kingdom come. What would that look like? Because here's what I do know. I do know that we all have stuff. And at the end of this life, friends, it's all going back in the box. And the only investments that are going to count on the other side of eternity are the ones that we make with God and with his people. Everything else stays on this side of the equation. So let me plead with you. Will you bless people with your stuff? Will you give it away? Will you do anything in your power to avoid the fate of the fool? Luke chapter 12, verses 33. This is just after Jesus tells this parable. He says this. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Give it away. Because it's all going back in the box. I mean, I want to ask you this question. What is the Lord stirring within you? Because I know his Holy Spirit's here. So what is the Lord stirring you to do with your stuff? Do you got an extra room in your house? Can, can you give that away to, to bless somebody else? To somebody who might not have a house? I just heard a story just this week of a kid who, who's going to come and be a part of the school here called Eastside Academy, just in the back of this building. And it's a school for, for underprivileged kind of teenage youth. And do you know where he's living right now? He is living in the basement of a juvenile detention center. And not because he, he's not free to go. He just has nowhere to go. See, I know that somebody in here can, can fill that need. They've got an extra room. See, do you have a room? Can you open it up? Do, do you got some time on your hands? Can, can you lead a life group? Do you got some, some clothes you wear, and now you, you can give away. I know that my wife and I, we make a practice of this. We've got some teenagers in, in our youth group. They, they don't have a lot of stuff, so we are, are generous with our clothing. We, we give it away. Do you know somebody who needs some clothes? Give it away. Do you got some extra love in your heart? Can you shower that on a single mother this Christmas season? Do, do you own a business? Is there any way that you can leverage that for the kingdom? I, I mean... There are so many possibilities. The possibilities are endless. But, but here's what I would also ask you to do as the Lord's stirring you, stirring you to use your stuff to be a blessing. As you go and as you bless people, would you also do this? As you bless those people, would you give them the explanation? The explanation that you have been blessed by an almighty God 
who loves you so much, and now he is using you to be a blessing. Tell them about this wonderful God who has blessed you so much. In fact, that God loves you so much that he did the ultimate thing. He paid the price that we could not pay on a cross. He loves you that much, and he just wants me to tell you that. So when you bless, don't just do it as a a good work. The Bible says, season this conversation with the gospel. Use your blessing to really be a blessing and change somebody's life. Because again, the possibilities, they're endless. And the truth is, we are blessed to be a blessing. But our moment to make an impact, it's fleeting. And so you've got to give it away now. Bless people today. Change your perspective. Avoid the myth of more. Avoid the fate of the fool. And recognize that at the end of this life, All of this stuff, this big game we play, it all goes back in the box. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I thank you so much for this time where we can gather together as your church body and understand that we are absolutely ridiculously blessed. But we are blessed for a purpose. We are blessed in order that we can be a blessing. And we, we know, Lord, that more stuff does not equal more life. But we do know that less stuff can. And so, Lord, would we give it away? Help us by your Holy Spirit to, to leave this place, leave the four walls of this building empowered to be a blessing to others and then give the explanation of this wonderful God who loves us so much God, would we do that? Would we be a changed people? Would we not just gather and huddle together and never break and play the game? Lord, I pray that right now we would break and play the game as we walk out of this building. Jesus, help us. We ask these things in your name, the name that is above all other names, and everybody said, amen.